Mirsang Moonjin, far side circle, finds the trailer, and Sylvester, he scores! Oh, what a rocket from number 16. Not in front pass save by Harmon. Lead from Mitsulinski, he's in on a breakaway, he scores! The Cavalier is shot, stopped by Harmon. The rebound came out, oh, and Harmon with the denial. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Atlanta Gladiators podcast. Today is a very important day as the Atlanta Gladiators podcast debuts officially on Business Radio X. And today I'm also pleased to be joined by Director of Hockey Operations for the Gladiators, Jeff Pyle. Jeff, thank you so much for joining me. How are you doing? Good. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to do it for you. Of course. So, Jeff, there's a million questions that I could ask you, but let's go back to the beginning, shall we? Growing up in Missouri, how did you initially get involved with the game of hockey? Um, my memory is we moved to Minnesota. Gotcha. Uh, my dad was in the service. Then we moved to Minnesota, and uh, he got stationed around, and he ended up leaving. And then so my mom kind of took everything over, and uh, she was the most amazing human being that I've ever ever been around in my life. She took over four kids by herself, and... Uh, and uh, we had the opportunity to be in Minnesota. We stayed there, and that's where it was. We had a I had an outdoor rink across the street on this side, an wow. outdoor rink on, across the street on that side. Uh, we had lakes all over the place, so we skated, we skied. Uh, you know, that was really what we did for the most part. And in the summers, we swatted the mosquitoes, played a little summer <laughs> sports, and that was about it. That's incredible. So in Minnesota, does that mean you grew up as a North Stars fair fan? Yeah, yeah, they came into town. I think I was probably about nine years old at the time, um, nine or ten. And uh, when they came in, we were hooked. You know, my mom was a big, she was a soccer player in Austria. Um, oh, wow. So she was a big sports fan. And uh, so she enjoyed the game. We went there and we, we kind of, her and I got hooked. And that's kind of where it started. You mentioned a small anecdote off air that prior to some of the playoff games in Minnesota, you would stand out for hours in the freezing cold. Can you just expand upon that? Yeah, well, we were pretty big fans. And then when the season tickets, or when the playoff tickets came out, you just had to get in line. Mm. So it was kind of, you know, it's, it's April in Minnesota, which is usually still cold. And we would literally go out there and just stand there. And there was a, a, you know, a ton of people. But we'd stand there for two, three, sometimes four hours waiting for tickets, and we'd get them. Uh, it was worth it. You know, it was a great memory, and uh, I'm sure we were freezing at times, but uh, it was worth it. Let's fast forward now to your college days at Northern Michigan University. Can you just talk about what led you to want to play there and, of course, being your, the captain in your final season? Just what was that like? Any fun stories from your time? Um, I was playing junior hockey at, in the USHL in Bloomington, and I didn't, you know, when I was young, I wasn't really that good. Um, and so my junior, or when I played in the USHL in Bloomington there, First year, I didn't play much, so I ended up going down playing junior B. And when I played junior B, I played all the time and kind of got my confidence going. So my second year in the USHL, I did really well. And uh, next thing you know, I got a scholarship, and I was a, I was a construction worker. So the next thing I knew, you know, I, I had a, a fit plan on playing two years of juniors and then going back to construction work. So, yeah. And then I didn't. I ended up... Uh, Rick calmly came to one of our practices, and after the practice, he uh, talked to us, and he just said... Uh, I'll offer you a half scholarship, and uh, uh, he said, "If you're, it's not a matter if you'll make the team; it's a matter of how much you want to play, how hard you'll work, and everything." And I just told him at the time, I said, "If uh, basic grant covers the rest, I'm in. If not, I won't be going to school. I'll go back to construction work." And the basic grant covered the rest, and so that was my opportunity to go to Northern. And uh, like my first year, I didn't know what to expect. Uh, we, my first year was only the third year they even had a team. 
so we didn't have any seniors. And uh, the first year, we did pretty well. You know, we, we I think second behind Bowling Green that year, and they had George McPhee, Mark Wells, Ken Morrow. They had an amazing team. You know, they went on to win the the, the see the championship, and then uh, the next year uh, we ended up going. We went in our we won our divi our division, our league, and then we went on to the final four two years in a row after that. So it was kind of shocking for the the the. Uh, you know, and such a new team to do so well. You know, it was a small town, but it was absolutely crazy there. Like, they loved hockey. They backed us, and it was probably the most fun three three years and smartest thing I did was get, get an opportunity to go to college and play in college hockey. So you mentioned prior to college you weren't that good. What do you think switched up for you uh, during your first, second, or third year at college? Mm, I don't know. Like, I got kind of lucky my first year at college. I first game scored three goals. So confidence level was there. I got opportunity. Our coach trusted us. Um, so, yeah, we got to play a lot more than a lot of rookies did. Uh, we had three rookie centermen come in that year, and we all got an opportunity to play in the top three lines. Um, and then the second year I came in with a lot of confidence, and we had a great team. That's when we went to the, the final four. Actually, the finals lost to North Dakota. And then the second, my, my third year, we went back there again. So, um I was fortunate to play with a lot of good players, a lot of good people. I worked really hard. Um, I'm not a big ego guy, so I knew every time if I did well, I wanted to do better and wanted to do better and just prove myself as a player, as a person, and I think that's kind of the way I do everything in life. Awesome. And then you had the opportunity to play in the IHL uh, shortly thereafter. You played there for several seasons, and quite frankly, Jeff, you dominated. Uh, <laughs> in 394 games, 199 goals, uh, 325 assists. Uh, and again, people forget that the IHL was rapidly expanding around the time that you were playing. Can you just talk about your time there and some of the experiences that you might remember? Yeah, I mean, I, I went to the IHL and uh, I actually signed my, my first pro contract and that's how it started. I signed with Hartford and then I got sent down to the Atlantic Coast League. We won a championship there and then I went back up to the American League. We went to the finals there. I didn't play much at all, but kind of got the experience of what it was like. And there's a lot of big name guys in the American League. I played with uh, with Marty Howe. Uh, wow. uh, Norm Barnes was there. He was a Stanley Cup winner in Philadelphia. We had uh, Gilles Lupien, who was a Stanley Cup winner in, with the Montreal Canadiens. And so I just kind of sat there in my first camp in Hartford and uh, Gordy Howe would come in and introduce himself. So I was just kind of the fly on the wall there. Just, you know, my first camp did well. I uh, went down to the American League, and they said, you're going to have to start at the lower level and work your way back up. So I did. After my first year, um, they were going to send me down again, and I just told them, buy me out. I'm not going down. Just buy me out, and I'll move on. And so I did, and that was the smartest thing I ever did, uh, which eventually got me to the IHL. And so the first year I got there, we won a championship there too. Um, so, you know, my first two years – or you know, my first two years, I was in three finals. <laughs> that was, so, yeah. Yeah, so I was just, I was in the right place at the right time, and, and again, was pretty lucky. That was my follow-up question, because you just talked about your time in Northern Michigan University and how in the first couple of years, uh, you'd already gone pretty far. So again, what was that like just between three different leagues uh, for you to get to the top of the mountain uh, with three different clubs? Yeah, it was kind of crazy. I mean, you don't expect it, you know, but you're, you know, it didn't hit me you know, like what it meant, because I was always on winning teams. Like in Pee Wees, I was from Minnesota. Our team was in the top five in the state, from Pee Wees to Bantams to high school, everything, you know. Um, so we kind of expected to win. And then I'm not 
a very good loser. So uh, I think that's why I work so hard. Um, but th that's kind of where it carried over, and, and I push that on everybody I play with. And I don't care if I was out, you know, on the pond or whatever, you know, like you don't ever, you ever don't, don't ever do anything to lose, you know. And uh, I always uh, told people, I said, uh, you know, even if I'm playing, you know, like uh, Candyland with my kids, I said, I don't mind losing, but it's going to be real close. <laughs> going to give it a battle. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and, and, you know, that's just the way I feel life is. So that's, uh, that's kind of my, my theory on everything. So I worked hard. I got fortunate to get play with a lot of good players and a lot of good people. Um, so I, I felt really lucky, really did. And then in 1986, 1987, you had your best season with the Saginaw Generals uh, in the IHL, 136 points. But then the next season, you decided to go overseas to Germany. Can you just talk about uh, what went behind uh, that decision? Well, I did everything I could in the States. Uh, and the thing was had, had happened that year was I got a call from the Chicago Blackhawks, and they said, uh, Jeff, uh, pack a bag. If uh, Dennis Savard can't get his foot into his skate, you'll be playing between Steve, Steve Thomas and Steve Larmer tonight. Wow. And so this was flying out of Saginaw. So I got packed my bag, got ready, and sweated through about three shirts. Uh, and then uh, they called me back about noon and said uh, he's got his foot in the skate, so we won't be calling you up. But that was as close as I got. And then I put up 136 points, and I figured I can't do much more than that. Um, and then I got a really good offer to go over to Europe. So I talked to Kathy about it, and, you know, she'd been with me the whole time uh, since college. So we just decided we'd go over and see Europe. There was less games, more money, uh, you know, get to see the world. My mother was from Austria, so we figured let's go over and start traveling the world, you know, and that's really where that started. How does the game, the atmosphere just in general, um, how is it different from the United States overseas in Germany, just uh, from your perspective as a player and then later as a coach? It's a, it's a soccer crowd. Uh, it's awesome. Like, as soon as you go in there before the game, they're screaming and yelling, and uh, the atmosphere, it, it kind of pumped my, 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 my mentality, like, I'm not saying after at that point you're you're thinking differently, but you kind of need something like, man, this is really cool. Right. Um, so it motivated me to, to be better. And again, we won two championships over there my first two years also. Um, so it was just one of those things where I got in the right place at the right time. The first year I went over to Europe, I didn't like it, and I left. The second year I went back, and I swore I wasn't going to go back, but I did. I had a buddy that said, no, come to this place good place the whole nine yards so that's where I started we won the first we won two championships there um, and then that's where I got into coaching eventually I hurt my back and had to quit and then uh, I was getting ready to go home packed my bags and me and Kathy were going to head home and then uh, they asked me to stay and coach so I stayed there for another four years and then we had our son Ryan and I did not want him to grow up in Germany I wanted him to grow up here at home yeah. And towards the end of your playing career, was coaching something that you had in the back of your mind? Or do you think it was just a spur of the moment thing, got the call and you went over to coach in Germany? What was what was the mindset there? Uh, it was really, really far back in my mind. I never even thought about it. I really didn't. I was going to go home and start working, you know, and uh, what I ended up doing was uh, they asked me to stay, and I was like, well, you got a coach. And they're like, well, we could fire him if you'll stay. And I go, no, don't do that to me. I said, if you're going to, you know, that's up to you guys. Make your decision. I'm, I'm, I've got to take it home in two days, so you guys make your decision. So they did, and then I stayed, and then, uh, you know, we liked it. You know, we really enjoyed it, and it was fun, and it was a shorter season and not that hard, you know. So we stayed a couple of years, and then I came home, and uh, I'd actually gotten, you know, uh, 
got home and called Don Waddell and just said, you know, congratulate him because he had won the, the cup with Detroit, and I was pumped that he won at home. You know, Detroit was where he was from, and I'd played with Don in, in college and just was happy to see him being successful. And I, he said, what are you going to do? And I said, I sent my resume out, but I said, I think I'm just going to get a job and start working here. I'm not sure. And he said, well, send me your resume. So I sent him my resume, and he got me a job within four days. I was the assistant coach in Grand Rapids, the second assistant. So I got to work with Bob McNamara and uh, Curtis Hunt, and that's kind of where I started coaching. And I really liked Curtis as a coach, as a person, and that if it wasn't for him, I probably would not be coaching. Uh, just the, how much fun he had how he handled the peop the players and the people and I just you know he he wasn't great to me at the beginning but it was kind of a, the way he did it was you know back the way it used to be you know like you got to earn it you got to earn it here and and I was all for that and and so he was a little hard on me but I loved it you know I loved that's the learning process that's what you got to go through to you know pay your dues that's what I did um and again the next thing I knew I had gotten a job in Mobile Alabama yeah and I had I actually accepted a job at Coca-Cola at that time, and I was just going to Mobile to go, hey, I just got to do this, because I had three hmm. interviews, and all three of them were the same. Man, your, your resume is great, you're a good guy, um, but you've been in Europe for 10 years. You know? Yeah, and well, would you say Curtis was your number one mentor just in the head coaching realm, um, and do you kind of mirror your head coaching style around him, or would you say it was just a mix of all the experiences that you were able to uh, garner during your time playing? Well, I had a really good coach in Germany who was a discipl disciplinarian, like big time. Um, he was a German guy, but I understood. It was all about the team, um, but it was about winning. You know, you find a way to win. There's, I mean, he, his, his scenario was there's no reason to ever lose. You know, there's no excuse. You either, he didn't care if the pass was, you know, head high. You find a way to get it done, you know. Um, so I took that mentality a little bit. Like, again, there's no reason to fail. Um, with Curtis, I took how to handle players, you know, you know, you show them who you are, get to know them. Uh, and that's the way I was, I've always been since then is you got to get to know somebody before you can coach them and help them. And, um, and I think they need to get to know me so they know, you know, what, what I'm all about. So that was always important to me. <clears throat> and then coming through all the camps I came through with, with Atlanta, um, with Ottawa before that, um, you know, I got to go to all sorts of NHL camps, talk to coaches. So I took a little bit from everybody, drills, mentality, you know, how to handle people. You know, it was just I was fortunate enough to be in the right spot at the right time here in Atlanta to go through so many things with so many different coaches. Absolutely. And 97-98, uh, that was the year where you coach, uh, where you're an assistant coach with the uh, Grand Rapids Griffins. And then in uh, 1998 and 99, then you go to Mobile, Alabama. And what was that experience like, just starting over <laughs> in a new place, um, taking over as head coach for that franchise? So here's how it went. So I told you I was interviewing at Coca-Cola and everything, and I told them I was going to take that job on Monday. I had to go out on Saturday, Sunday to go to Mobile, Alabama. So I did. And I met with Steve Chapman, and uh, we went golfing. And we went with this guy that I now, to this day, call him Lucky Frank. He was the head guy at Burger King. Okay. And so we were golfing, and Frank was the kind of guy that no matter when you're golfing, no matter where he is on the green, he putts first. And he walks in your line, and it didn't matter. Me and Chappie were doing this one, like, what, what are we, what's going on here, you know? Yeah. And so we're golfing, and we had a really good day. Chappie and I hit it off really well, and Frank was a good guy, but... But, they, you know, we, get, we got a kick out of golfing with him. 
So that night, uh, we go out to dinner, and I'm sitting next to Toby Jeffries, and he goes, I heard you had three interviews. And I said, yeah. I said, it went just like this one. I said, they all said the same thing. You know, you're a great resume, you're a good guy, uh, but you've been in Germany for 10 years. And that's what I was expecting for the third one, too, because I said to the guy at Coke, I said, I'll be back on Monday to, you know, to start working. And uh, so I end up... Uh, talking to Toby there and he goes uh, yeah I heard you you know so I said yeah the first one went this way second went this way and he looks at me and he goes third one's a charm and he winked at me and I got this heat rush you know like uh oh now I think I might get this job so I sat there and I had a club sandwich I couldn't even eat it I just wrapped it up <laughs> took it back to my room and uh, I called my wife and I just said uh, they said they told me they're we're going to meet in the morning and we'll give you the decision and then uh you know, we we'll go from there. And so I called my wife that night and I said, uh, Kathy, I said, I think, I, I think they're going to offer us this job. And she goes, no way. Because <laughs> we had already planned out the Coca-Cola thing and all that. And so then I go, no, I, I, th I think they're going to offer me the job. And so the next morning I went in and they offered me the job. And I told Steve Chapman, I said, 99.9% .9 sure I'll do it. But I said, it's not going to be my choice. I said, I'm going to let Kathy make the decision because she's been following me around. So, and the thing that was awesome was she's from California. Her dad was in the service. I met her at Marquette. So I'm from Minnesota, and that's where we were at the time. And there's no way a person from California is going to want to settle down in Minnesota. Right. Never in a million <laughs> years. So she said that's, she didn't say it that way, but she said, hockey's what you do. Let's do that. Oh, wow. So, yeah. So that's what we did. And then, and next thing you know, we're in Mobile, Alabama, and it was really a cool place to be. Like, it's a small town, but there's a ton of history, and you're, you know, two hours on either side, you've got nothing but beach and great towns in Florida, and you come the other way, and you hit Mississippi, New Orleans, like, you know, Biloxi, New Orleans, you know, Louisiana, all down there, Baton Rouge, all those, those towns, you know, Lafayette, Great little places to be with all sorts of different cultures and stuff, and I absolutely loved it. You know, the heat in the summer and humidity was a little tough, but it didn't matter. Um, my, my daughter was born in Daphne, Alabama. My son was born in Germany. So we were, it was a perfect scenario for us and for me to start my career. And then it, it worked. It was just weird. It worked. And then four years after your first season in Mobile, uh, the Mystics suspend operations and they move over to Duluth, Georgia. And again, what was running through your mind and what had to be a little bit of a tumultuous time uh, during that transition and kind of how did you end up falling in love with this community, uh, end up moving for the Gwinnett Gladiators? Well, we were, I was there with Toby and Chappie for four years there and they had planned to move it and, you know, it, we all came down here and, and saw the place. And uh, when I first saw it, all I could see was everything was being built, more buildings and more buildings and more buildings and more buildings. And we were just thinking, this is a gold mine. Like, this is an amazing place, and it's Atlanta. And then we went out of the worst building in the league from a rodeo building to the best building in the league. And we came in the first year, and I'm always the mentality of no reason to lose, you know, like, again, so we come in the first year and we're thinking, how good are we? You know, we didn't know. And we had an affiliate with Atlanta with the Thrashers right there, you know, sitting there. I knew Donnie, so that was our, th our affiliate right away. And we got good players from them. And we, we started out our first year with 14 rookies. And we went to the conference finals. And it was just the most fun I ever had. Right. Yeah, it was crazy. 
Absolutely. And then uh, you have the opportunity uh, to continue uh, to coach uh, for the Gladiators. And just as time has gone on, and we spoke about it um, a couple of days ago before the start of training camp, you said that when you initially got here, the Atlanta Gladiators were the pinnacle of the ECHL. They were the standard. Just kind of what surrounds that and what were the reasons why you, uh, you mentioned that to me? Well, when we got in, we were, it was an older league, a little bit of an older league, and our theory was, Tiny Simmons asked me one time when we were in, we were in Tallahassee, when I was still with Mobile, he goes, can we go young, because we were talking about moving, you know, he goes, could we go young and win? And I said, yeah, I think we could win. I said, can we win a championship? That's a tough one. We need a lot of help, and you need a lot of good timing and breaks and everything, but I said, yeah, we could do it. So the first year, we had 14 rookies, went to the conference finals. Um, Budget-wise, you know, Chappie and Toby were probably as good as they get, um, you know, when it comes to managing a budget and smart. And I thought we we handled the market here pretty well. It's a tough market with so much going on at the time. Um, but uh, it was kind of that way. And the league said, you know, we were the poster child. A lot of teams started getting younger and going after college guys. And since we had the best building in the league at the time, you know, and my theory was I'm going to move up as many young guys as I can possibly move up. So agents started pushing their guys our way. Right. And I'd go to the draft and I'd just network at the draft and get to know the agents. And that was probably the smartest thing I ever did. And then all the coaches in the American League would call me and go, Jeff, you're the only one answering your phone when we're trying to call guys up. A lot of the other teams won't answer their phone. And I said, well, take our guys. If you need them, take them because I wanted to move guys up. That was my thing. And then when recruiting came, like I said, guys would get pushed our way. So it was working for us really well, and we had opportunities. Um, the reason we went to Alaska against Alaska in the finals and we lost, you know, I think we were as good a team. They just had more experience and patience. You know, we were young and we worked hard. We'd outwork them, and then they'd score. Right. Um, but it was, like I said, it was in the first eight years, you couldn't have asked for a better scenario than what we had. Take me a little further in depth to that Kelly Cup final matchup uh, against Alaska. Just at the time, what was that season overall like and that subsequent playoff push? Um, I'm probably going to mess this up a little bit, but I'll probably hash in a couple of different playoff scenarios. Like we had, you know, we always believed in what we, you know, how we were. You know, that year Louisiana had a great team, really good team, and um, they were, I think, on top of, of our conference. And I think it might have been the year – I'm not sure who we went against first, but every everybody we played, you know, we were pretty solid. Like, we played Soko one year, and they were the toughest team in the league, and we swept them three straight. Um, we ended up going against Louisiana, and Mississippi that year, I think, was the first round we had, and we ended up beating them. Then we had Louisiana, and that was that triple overtime game, I think. And that was kind of, I think, the staple point for the organization. Um, it was kind of like, uh, you know, can we do this? Can we get there? You know, can we get over the hump? We lost to Idaho the first year. They were a great team. They won the championship. The, the first one of my years in Mobile, we lost to SoCo, and they won the championship. So we were always doing well, and we'd always lose to the champion, but could we get past that? And the triple overtime game where uh, – I, I, Paul Flash was a defenseman, six foot five defenseman, but we were short up front. And that that game, I decided, you know, he was really skilled. I'd throw him up front. We had enough D. He ended up scoring two goals. It made me look like a genius. <laughs> Definitely wasn't me, but he ended up scoring those two goals. And it was almost like a team where we were like, we're destined for this, you know, like we're going to go and we're going to make this happen. 
Um, and then we, you know, we end up going to the finals against Alaska. And, and again, this, they made a rule after that year. We were literally sitting in the locker room at 3 in the morning with the bags packed, and we were listening to Alaska play Fresno. And they were in double overtime or triple overtime. And had they gone to quadruple overtime, we would have missed our flights because we were supposed to fly into either Alaska or Fresno. If, if, if Alaska won, we were flying into Alaska the next day and playing the next day after that. Oh, wow. Okay, so if Fresno wins, we get a day off, and then we're flying into Fresno the day after that, and then we're going in, and then we start there. So uh, Alaska wins and doing triple overtime or something. So we're packing the bags. Four different planes we head in there. We get there early. Our very last plane gets there at midnight. We have to play the next day. Big time zone thing. And so the first two periods, or the first about half of the game, they dominated us. The second half of the game, we absolutely dominated them. Hmm. Um, they scored a goal. A puck rolled behind our goalies back and laid on the goal line in the last minute or so. So they scored to go up 3-2. Um, we outplayed them, and I'll go to my grave with this. We outplayed them the whole series, and they just had older guys that when there was a, we made a mistake, they scored. It didn't matter what the situation was, how well we were playing. And I was, just felt bad for that, that group because they really deserved you know, they really deserved that championship, I felt. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, Alaska in the end won, um, but it was kind of a thing where they changed the rule to after that, each team gets three days off before you have to play a game in the finals. Did you feel like you, your team was put at a little bit of a disadvantage due to the travel circumstances? Yeah, but still, it's not the excuse. We had our opportunities. We just didn't, you know, you got to find a way. It, it's mm-hmm. just like injuries, call up, stuff like that. You battle through, you find a way. That's just the way it is, you know. Like the one year we were in the playoffs, we lost Joel Stepp at the wrong time. Um, and had we had him, you know, we probably would have been better in that last round, too. So, um, but there's a lot of, you know, there's always a lot of what ifs. But, you know, again, uh, the, the, the biggest point of everything that we've done is just kind of creating a moment. You know, there's so many memories. Um, it's not so much about the game itself, but all the people you meet. And to me, when it's after a game or a big series and, you know, the players are, you know, laughing and having a good time, you guys are coming down the stairs after the game. Yeah. Everybody's got a smile on their face. The owner's got a smile on their face. Fans are going out happy. Um, that's, to me, what it's all about. Like, just, yeah. like I said, fortunate. Speaking about the people that you've met along the way, Derek Nesbitt is probably at the top of that list. Of course, played with his first stint with the Gladiators around the same time that you were describing and then just came back afterwards. What has it been like being able to coach him uh, for two different stints, uh, now see him after being an assistant coach last year, uh, taking over as head coach for this upcoming season? Well, we had talked about this a while back with Dan Orlich, too. I mean, the crazy thing with Nezzy was I started with him and then I finished with him, and that usually doesn't happen too often. <laughs> um, and the way it, when, when he coming back here, I'd called Nezzy when this had, all that stuff started and they were looking for a coach, and I said, you know, it, you know, if you guys want me back, I'll throw my resume in, but if you guys don't, just be honest. I don't really, you know, I just wanted to make sure I threw it, you know, threw it at Nezzy because so, I knew he'd be honest with me. He was like, no, we'd love to have you throw, throw it in, you know, and I talked to Toby and, and uh uh, Bill Davidson too, and said the same thing. Like I know I'm old, and if you guys don't want me, that's fine. It's not going to hurt my feelings. I just wanted to, you know, I don't want to miss an opportunity. And so they all said the same thing. So I sent my resume out, and then Dan Orlich called me, and I flew into uh, Dallas Airport, and and it was one of the most interesting meetings I've ever had in my life. But uh, I knew that's really what I wanted to do. 
Right. Absolutely. And now you transitioned prior to the start of this season uh, from head coach to director of hockey operations. What's that been like for you uh, since taking over that new role? Uh, I, I like it. Like I, I'm fine with giving it up to Nezzy. And my wife said, you know, you're probably not going to be able to handle it, stuff like that. And I'm like, you don't realize how much I enjoy days off. Um, <laughs> and it's, it's been it's stressful to be. And I did it a lot by myself. I didn't have an assistant coach and I was doing immigration, housing, payroll, uh, you know, whatever it was, I was doing it, helping with equipment, the, the whole nine yards. I got to know workman's comp. I got to know how the business side works. Um, and I, and I, I'm one of those guys that tries to absorb as much as I can. And it helped me learn about the budgets and different ways to find ways to save money and make money and do it the right way. Um, so, yeah, from that standpoint, that uh, just doing all that, to me, was a big learning thing. And I wanted to push that off on Nezzy. I don't want him just to be a hockey coach I want him to know the business side I want him to understand you know why he's doing what he's doing and you know because there's a lot of moving parts to this game in this league um, and there's just a lot of things coming you coming at you all at once call-ups injuries guys going to Europe uh, you know trade deadline comes up and all of a sudden the team you had is gone uh, you got to battle through no matter how short you are no matter how beat up you are you got to create an atmosphere that they believe they can win every night and in addition to Derek Nesbitt, Eric Neely decided to hang up the skates uh, following this past season. He takes over as an assistant coach. Just, did they come to you for advice as two um, new-time coaches, fresh behind the bench, um, for advice on how to kind of manipulate this group, especially with training camp uh, beginning this week? Um, I'll, I'll tell you, when, when I sat down with Derek, because we had talked about this off and on before, and I told these guys, I said, when you need me and you want me to help, I'm there. I'm not going to jam stuff down your throat. I'm not going to tell you you have to do coach this way or that way. Um, he's got to decide what kind of a team he wants. He's got to decide, you know, what division you're in. You know, how do you want to counter the teams you're playing against? Does your team match up? All that stuff is his stuff. Uh, when it came to the recruiting, I told him I'm calling all the agents I know and letting them know, you know, I'm giving you all their names, giving them the heads up to work with you the whole nine yards. Um, and I think that was my job was just to, you know, to kind of set the table and then to have their back 100%. So whenever they have questions, they come to me. Um, doesn't matter what it's about. Or, you know, if, if I'm doing immigration and I say, if you want to learn, here it is. If you don't, you know, there's different ways we can do it. But that's pretty much the way. Uh, like, I'm here to help them, let them learn, and I'm enjoying it. It's kind of fun. Absolutely. And I know we're um – Day one of training camp uh, has been completed. Just what do you see out of this group for this upcoming season? Of course, only six players from this past year returning uh, for this season. So what have you seen just from the uh, few optional skates prior to today's training camp? Well, there's a lot of skill, you know, and we don't have a lot of the contracted guys in yet. You know, they're right. going to be coming in. Um, so I've always said this. We're, every team's going to be good at the beginning. You know, every team should be. You should be ready. You've got your affiliation. We we threw in the second one with Arizona just to make sure we're getting more players, uh, have more depth, um, and just gives us more options. I know it's a little bit of a risk, but that's part of the game. So, right. Last question from me. Um, I know that you mentioned earlier that head, being coming a head coach was not even in the back of your mind. Now to look back over 30 years later um, with the impressive and extensive resume that we just ran through, just how crazy of a feeling is that to know that it wasn't something you planned to do, but now sitting here today, um, everything that we've just described encapsulates the coaching career of Jeff Pyle. Well, it's kind of crazy because I ended up doing something that I really probably wasn't that good at when I was young. So right. it was a bit of a, you know, 
it was a bit of a curve, but uh, there's nothing else in the world I would rather do than what I already did. I don't look back and go, I should have done this. I, you know, I left college after my third year. I got an, an opportunity to go to the NHL, and I took it. And I could have maybe waited a year, and I could have got hurt, and you know, it might not have worked out. And I don't look back and go, oh, poor me, or anything like this. I've had a blast. Like I've got to, I got to meet Gordie Howe. I got, I got to be in the NHL camp. I signed an NHL contract. You know, I played in the American League, I played in the IHL. You know, I met a, a ton of amazing, great people, fans, uh, co-workers, everything. So it's just been a, a great ride. Um, I told my wife we've been paid our entire life to travel the world. Right. You know, never expected I was going to do that. So, yeah, I, again, I feel blessed. I really do. Lucky. And I know I said that was my final question, but I actually got one <laughs> last fun one from, uh, for you. Okay. Um, what's one thing about Jeff Pyle that our fans wouldn't know uh, by listening to this podcast or uh, just following your career trajectory? Mm, I don't know. I know I'm putting you on the spot here. Uh, that's a tough one. <laughs> um, any hobbies? Any? No, I'm pretty simple. I, uh, I've been, again, blessed to be able to do what I want to do pretty much my whole life. Um, so I spend a lot of time at home with my family, um, okay. a lot, um, because I love, I love watching my family, like my kids growing up, uh, being around to help that type of thing. Because again, uh, Kathy and the kids have done everything for me. So this is really what my job was in life was to take care of them growing up. And so that's what I'm doing. Jeff, thank you so much for taking the time today. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. All right. You can find the Atlanta Gladiators podcast on YouTube, or you can listen to the audio version wherever you get your podcast. My name is Liam Godimer. I'm the Director of Broadcasting and Communications for the Atlanta Gladiators. Special thank you to our guest for this month, Jeff Pyle, and Business Radio X as well. We'll see you next time right here on the Atlanta Gladiators podcast. 